but the tomb is empty. He's alive. He's risen today. And because of that, we have victory. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to bow our heads in honor of the one who's alive. We're going to lift him up. We're going to pray. And whatever you brought in today, it's okay. We're glad you're here. If you brought in joy, that's good. You brought in some pain, that's okay. Some disappointment, you're welcome here. We're going to go to God with that stuff, though. We're just going to express to him that we're glad to be in his presence. Would you bow with me right now? Father, thank you. Thank you that you have won the victory. Thank you that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we are welcome in your presence. I thank you, Lord, today that the ground at the cross is level. And we all come to you because you've invited us to do so. And I thank you, Lord, that the tomb is empty, that you are alive today. And that same power that raised you from the dead is at work in your people today. And we declare right now, Lord, that our hearts are open, our minds are alert. We're ready to receive whatever you have for us. In Christ's mighty name, amen and amen. Hey, say hello to the folks around you before you're seated, please. It was a normal day at the airport. Folks were filing to and from as they were coming and going, and a group of people gathered on Southwest Airlines Flight 1830. It was a normal day. They were going to make their way to their destination, and the stewardesses got up, and they gave the little uh, speech that they always give. Pay attention, they said. Here's some safety information for you. So they got up and they did the thing. Make sure your seatbelt's strapped. In the case of an emergency, these masks will fall from the ceiling above you. You pull it straight, put it over your nose and mouth, and uh, take care of yourself. And then if you need to give assistance to somebody else, you do yourself first and take care of them. That's what was said. People had heard it, some of them, dozens of times. They knew exactly the routine. What they didn't know was that flight, that information would become strategically urgent. So... On Southwest Airlines Flight 1830, there was an engine problem. Malfunction. It happened. The thing that nobody likes to think about occurred, and the airline air, airplane tilted, and the masks fell from the ceiling. In fact, we have a picture taken as that was going on. This is a group of people right there on that airline flight. And let me ask you something. Do you see anything wrong with that picture? They'd heard it a hundred times. Place the mask over your nose and mouth. Breathe normally. <laughs> exactly. Now, they're fine. The airplane landed just fine in Philadelphia. This was last year. You can Google me and fact check me. It happened. But that's an actual picture taken, and most of the people are doing it wrong. They'd heard it. Hey, can I say the challenge with the service like Easter service? Many of you have been hearing this your whole life. You know what I'm about to say. The gospel story doesn't really change. The problem is not is if you hear it or not. The problem is, is, does the message of Easter find receptivity in you? That's the challenge. I mean, you don't want to be like the people on the airline flight who've heard it over and over. In fact, they dismiss it. They're still checking their phone. They're signing off. They're talking to their loved ones about whatever's going on in their life. And they miss the important thing. And then when they need that information to be activated in their life, they don't have good grasp of it, and they're unable to take full advantage of what happened. 
Now, the message of Easter is very, very important. It's important not because church is celebrated. It's important because it is the greatest event in all of human history. It impacts virtually every area of life. Let me just rehearse a couple of those for you. Whether you're atheist or Christian, whether you're Buddhist or Christian, most people today in academia and in business refer to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in almost everyday conversation. Just consider the date. This is the year 2019. 2019 years after what? The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It has made its way into the everyday conversation of people. It's an important thing to pay attention to. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a handful of scriptures related to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus And we're going to ask a very simple question. What impact does that story of Jesus have on our lives today? And I'm hoping that you'll listen all the way. Whether you've been in church for the last 50 Easter's, the last five Easter's, or whether this is your first time back in a very long time, we're glad that you are here. It's a very important story to listen to because you might find yourself in a situation like the man who's married, and as they got up in life, his wife said to him, I want to take my mom on a trip to the Holy Land. Would you pay for my mom to go with me and you on a trip to the Holy Land? And he loved his wife, so he said, sure, of course I will. So they did that. They went on a trip to the Holy Land. They saw the sights. They went to the upper room. They went to where Jesus was born. They went to Golgotha where he was crucified. They even visited the garden tomb where Jesus was laid to rest and was raised again three days later. Now, because the wife's mom was up in age and This was a lifelong dream for her. They they didn't realize how special the moments were. And as the story goes, a few days into the trip, she passed away. It was unexpected. They didn't like that. And so there's a lot of arrangements to be made. They're not from there. They're from the United States. So they begin to talk with the authorities, and they discovered that for about $5,000, they could ship her body back to the U.S. and do a proper burial. Or because they kind of deal with that stuff all the time in the Holy Land, for about 50 bucks, they could bury her right there in the Holy Land. The guy's weighing it out, and he thinks about what he's going to do. And he says to the government officials, he says, we're going to go ahead and pay the $5,000 and ship her back. And the guy says, I don't think you understand. It's $50 or $5,000. $50 or $5,000. And he goes, no, guaranteed, we want the $5,000. Can you just help me understand what you're thinking? He said, well, you know, we're over here because of the story that there was a man who was put in the ground just right over there, and three days later he rose again. And we're not willing to take that chance. We're not willing to take that chance. Now, what I don't know, I don't know if you know, that in the story of the resurrection, we get from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we get some very important things that speak to our day-to-day lives. And so rather than just tell you the story of the resurrection today, you heard it read to you from Scripture already, I want to unpack the impact of the resurrection in today's life. You can follow along your message notes. They look like this. On the back, there are three blanks we're going to fill in. And the points today aren't complicated, but they're meaningful. They're deep. They impact our lives. Whether you're following Jesus today or not following Jesus, these are truths that result from the death and resurrection of Jesus that can have a big impact on you in your everyday world. And one of the reasons why I'm 
taking some time to plow through the impact of the resurrection is, is I think that sometimes on special days like Easter, it feels more like a ceremony. It feels more like the routine. It feels more like it's just the thing you do to go to church, be with family, and do the thing. And, and I think that's honorable. That's not wrong. But that's not really what's going on with Easter. That's not really what's going on with the other big holiday, Christmas. What's really going on is the reason we rally around those days and they become special to us is because something profound happened then. And when we think about how profound it was and how important it was, it makes us as people want to share those moments with some of the people who are closest to us. The hope of Christmas, the hope of Easter speaks into the most important dynamics of life, like family, like what really matters in this world. It goes beyond your work world, your professional career. It goes beyond your education. It goes beyond the, the simple, ordinary things of life, and it speaks to the deepest parts of who we are, and it's supposed to do that. Did you know that in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we get to discover some things about the character of God, things that speak to our everyday life. I want to direct you to a couple of passages of Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can thumb through with me quickly. You can use your phone. They'll be up here on the screen, and some of them are right there on your message notes as well. But I actually want to take you to one that's not on your message notes. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. This is written by Peter, a disciple of Jesus. He was there. It was him to whom Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Before it all goes down, you're going to have a chance to affirm your relationship with me or deny your relationship with me. You're going to deny your relationship with me. Later on, after the resurrection, because of that powerful truth that impacted Peter so deeply, Peter writes a letter to followers of Jesus. He writes a letter as a guy who got it wrong, who had failed, who had messed up who didn't live up to what he had hoped to live up to. And he writes a letter, and in that letter, here's what he says. God has called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He's remembering back those events. He also left you an example that you could follow in his footsteps. So it's in the suffering of Christ we're given an example how it is that we can deal with our sufferings, how it is we can deal with the challenges of life. That's what we're going to do today. How is it that the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection speaks to the challenges and the opportunities and the difficulties of life? Have you thought about the death of Jesus? Has it been a while? I don't want to go through it all. It's a gruesome story. A few years ago, the movie The Passion of the Christ brought this message front and center to a lot of people. But let me just rehearse it with you for just a moment. Jesus suffered the the deepest pain possible. There was physical pain. His body was beaten, probably with a cat of nine tails. It was a, a whip that had nine points on it. On the ends of the points, there were embedded stone, glass, and bone, so that when you were whipped with it and it was pulled away, it pulled off pieces of your flesh. He had a crown of thorns stuck into his skull. They pulled out his beard plucked it out. They spit on him. They slapped him. They hung him on a cross. 
Death on a cross was typically death by suffocation. The weight of hanging primarily by your hands, also a little bit by your feet until your strength gave out and you couldn't hold yourself up anymore. The weight put on the chest, they typically suffocated right there as they hung. It was an incredibly gruesome picture to behold, incredible pain. But it wasn't just physical pain that Jesus endured for us. He endured an emotional pain. In the days before he hung on the cross, he got to hear the crowd yell at him, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowds were with him and they were cheering him on. And that same crowd just a few days later had abandoned him, had left him all alone, even his closest friends. The Bible says that not one of his disciples stayed with him through it. He had an emotional loss in this period of around his death, burial, and resurrection that most of us can't even imagine. Some of you, I bet, have had the pain of betrayal where somebody close to you you were dependent on didn't fulfill their commitment. Or worse, you found them talking about you in some horrible way behind your back. Jesus knows and went through that exact same thing. There was physical pain. There was emotional pain. There was a spiritual pain. The Bible says that at the cross, Jesus, when he hung there, he bore the weight of every sin committed in this world. It's an unimaginable pain. Can you imagine every murder, every lie, every rape, every theft, every horrible thing that can happen in this world, the weight of that spiritual weight was put on his shoulders And he suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually on a level most of us can never even relate to. But when Peter reflects on those days, his personal darkest days, when he reflects on the darkest days in some ways of the the history of humanity, he says that in the picture of Jesus, we get an example of how to deal with some of the pain we go through. Peter knew a little bit about pain. He knew the pain of regret. He knew the pain of promises he had made he couldn't fulfill. He knew the pain of speaking bigger than he was able to live out. He knew what it was like. One other writer in the New Testament who wrote the book of Hebrews, again on the screen, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, here's what that writer says about this season in Jesus' life. Since Jesus went through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted And he is able to help us. He is able to help us. It's at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we get the clearest picture of God's power at work in the darkest of times. That's part of what makes it good news. It's not good news because the picture itself is so lovely. A man hanging till he suffocates with a crown of thorns on his head and a small group of people at the foot of the cross. That's not what is the beautiful picture. The beautiful picture is is that in that moment when he was put into the ground and they thought it was over and they had no hope that anything else could move forward, they had given everything to follow him and it seemed completely over. That's not the beautiful picture. It's the fact that the story continues and it ends with, on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, about daybreak, it ends with an empty tomb and the message that he is not here, he has risen. 
It is that redemptive moment. It is that poignant moment that makes those ugly pictures take on special meaning. It's not just a message, but it was a message lived out by the messenger. He physically lived out this good news for us. And as we look at it and inspect it, we get some good news in our life. And I want to give you three big ones. Here's the first one. The first one is, God is with me. When you look at the resurrection, you think about pain. The first piece of good news that I want us to reflect on and breathe it all the way in deep, cover the nose and the mouth with it, is that God is with me. God is with me. So when you're going through pain, God is with you. When you're going through your challenges, God is with you. Now, they say about pain, there's a couple realities about it. You're either going through some now, you've just come through some, or you're about to go through some. It's the reality of the human existence that we all go through difficult times. I bet, I bet in this past year you've had some challenging times. And I don't know that they quite measure up to the person of Jesus, but remember that in his difficult time, we're given an example of not just what to think and feel, which is powerful, we're actually given an example of what to do in pain in the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So I want to walk you through a couple of ways that Jesus managed practically the pain that he was going through. Do you know enough of the story to remember that when Jesus was sitting down with his 12 disciples having that last meal, it was the night that he washed their feet, the Lord of all creation stoops down to play the role of a servant and he washes the disciples' feet. It was the night that he had his last meal with them. We still celebrate that in communion in churches today. It was in that very moment when they, when they were going through all of that stuff and the whole thing is about to unfold that Jesus says to his followers in Matthew chapter 26 that he wants them to go with him into the garden while he prays. So in Matthew chapter 26, up on the screen again, here's what our Bible says. Jesus took his disciples with him to Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is, a, is an olive grove. It, you could say it's, a, it's an olive garden, but that's a restaurant, so we'll call it an olive grove. All right? He goes to the olive grove with his friends, and here's what he said. He said, look at these words, stay here with me while I pray. When Jesus is about to go through his most painful moments, he says to his friends, stay here with me while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John a little further in. Look what it, the Bible says here. He was filled with anguish and deep distress, and he said to them, catch the, the transparency here. My heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. And he's about to die in a few hours. But at that moment, he says to his closest friends, in a moment of brutal transparency, raw authenticity, my heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. Just sit here and watch with me. And then Jesus took a few more steps, and he fell to the ground, and he began to pray. When you go through your darkest times, when we look at the story of Jesus when he went through his darkest times, one of the one of the truths that we're offered from the example of Jesus that Peter refers to is that in our darkest times, it's important to gather your friends. It's important to gather your friends. That's what Jesus did. 
If you're going through dark times today, I want to challenge you to resist the urge to do what most people do when they go through pain, which is to isolate yourself, to pull back, to withdraw, to be alone. Nothing wrong with being alone unless it's in reaction to the difficult things you're going through. Isolation is not what Jesus did. He's going to be alone on the cross, but when he had a chance to begin to process the pain he was going through, what Jesus showed us, showed us was the power of gathering friends around you. That's right there in the story of the resurrection of Jesus. He gathered his friends around him and he said, just sit with me. Here's why. My heart is heavy. I'm overwhelmed with what I'm about to face. I don't know what to do. I'm not looking for you to say anything. Just sit with me. I'll tell you one of the things I love about the Lord's church. It's not that everybody that goes to church is perfect. We know that's not true. It's not that there aren't a handful of people who don't live up to what Jesus calls us to. We know that that happens all the time. It's that in a place like church, it's very possible that people who need grace in their life, that people who had made mistakes and experienced God's transformative grace at work in their life, it's very possible in a place like church where that gets talked about and lived out and no perfect person exists, that when you're going through your own stuff, that people who've experienced grace know how to bring a little bit of that grace that they've experienced into your situation. And when they don't know what to say, when they can't fix the problem, when they can't make it go away, I've discovered in church a very powerful thing that can happen. A group of people who can just be with you through stuff. It's a big deal. It happens all the time around here. If you're our guest today, you should know there isn't a single perfect person in this room. If you get to know any of us on a deep level, you're probably going to be disappointed. But something beautiful happens among these groups, this group of imperfect people pretty regularly. For instance, this last couple weeks, we have a guy in our church who discovered he had stage four cancer in his liver. It's a horrible situation. I sat at his kitchen table with him and his wife, and we talked about what might could happen to him. There was a, a tough conversation. He joined a small group in our church, a group of people he didn't really know. But they began to talk about the things of God. Everybody in that group, not one of them perfect, had experienced a bit of grace. They needed grace because they had been imperfect. They had experienced some grace of God. And as this brother of theirs, who's not related to them by DNA, of course, as this brother of theirs began to walk the emotional journey of dealing with stage four liver cancer, they rallied around him. And they couldn't snap their fingers and make the cancer go away. They couldn't do that. They, they couldn't tell why it was he got it and somebody else didn't. They couldn't manage that. They couldn't even take away all the fear of what it means to process what that cancer might mean for him, his life, his family, his kids. They couldn't do any of that. But what they could do and what they did well is they were with him. And the prognosis over the next few weeks as he went through chemo, aggressive chemo, was that it looked like it was being responsive. In fact, at some point, the doctor said, we don't see anything going on in you, but we're going we're gonna to go in and do a little surgery and just cut out the spot for where it was to kind of as a precaution. So they went through that, and on the day of the surgery, that group of people who couldn't operate on him, who couldn't snap their fingers, who couldn't change the circumstance, they met with him and his wife in that hospital. At the resurrection of Jesus... That most poignant moment in our faith, we're reminded of the power of doing life with people. 
Can I tell you the problem with that is everybody you get a chance to do life with is imperfect. Every one of them needs to be a recipient of grace. And at one sense, that's a scary reality because they're going to disappoint you. But on the other hand, because they are a recipient of grace, because they know they need grace, it might just be that the people you get to do life with have the ability at your painful moments to do for you what Jesus' friends did for him. They were just there. Now, this is not weakness, by the way. This is the Son of God, the one who set the universe in motion, the one who was there at creation, who on his most painful moments said, I want my friends around me. It's part of how you deal with pain in this world. And it's actually part of the gift of God that's available to you. It's the back end of the story that begins with the gift of Jesus in a manger, hanging on a cross and an empty tomb. The implication of all of that is that God has created this family on earth. Oh, it's a dysfunctional family. We have crazy uncles. Do you have a crazy uncle? We have some cousins that we'd rather not identify with. It's true. You're probably sitting near one of them. Watch your purse. It's true. It happens. But it is our family. And they all needed grace. And sometimes at just the right time, they have the ability to bring grace into us. So when you're going through pain, you look at Easter, you can be reminded of the power of doing, I hope you have a group of people. If not, you could have one. Because when you join life with Jesus, you don't just get Jesus. You get the family too. Yeah, you know what this is like. Some of you got married and you loved that girl and then you married her and you discovered more about her family and you was like, oh my goodness. You know what this is like? You get her and you get the family. You get Jesus and you get the family. And we're messed up, but on occasion, we get it right. On occasion, we get it right. Now, as cool as the disciples were for sitting there with Jesus, the rest of the story is that he goes alone to pray. And while he's praying, they fall asleep. So even in the story of Jesus, we get this stark reality that people can never really do it all for us. So that's what I want to remind you, that even though we're called to call out to our friends, the truth is, is God is with you as well. God is with you. Look look what the Bible says. That wherever two or three people are gathered in his name, he's there. So even if that two or three people aren't perfect, they can't do it right, they don't have the words, they don't even know how to express it, they don't seem to really get it, but when they've, God is there as well working in those dynamics. It's part of the gift of Easter. That's what Peter was saying when I reflect on that season of my life. I look at Jesus and I'm given an example of how to handle suffering. He gathered his friends. Look at the second thing he did. He prayed. So in Mark chapter 14, Jesus fell face down on the ground and he prayed that if possible, he would not have to suffer the pain ahead of him. He prayed, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's the language of Jesus. It was the first word that an Aramaic child would learn. It's, it's Dada. It's Papa. It's Abba. They could speak the word early. It, Daddy God. Abba Father. And look what he says. I know you can do all things. I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine, to be done. So when you're going through pain, remember that you have some 
family around you that you can call on. You have a God that's never left you. And I want to encourage you to call out to that God in prayer. In fact, I want, to, I want to encourage you to pray the Gethsemane prayer. There are three big steps. The first part in Jesus' simple prayer, though, was he affirmed God's power. I know. God, I know you can do anything when you're going through pain. God, I know you can do anything. There's nothing too big for you. You have the power. I mean, you set the universe in motion. You can do this. The second part of Jesus' prayer was he expressed his heartfelt desire. I don't want this. God, I don't want this pain. I don't want this relational dysfunction. I don't want that news. I don't want that report. I don't want that closed door. I don't want that hurt. There's a brutal honesty at the resurrection. In the story of Jesus, the example he gave was the ability to tell the truth all the way to God who listens. So Ben, are you saying it's okay to complain to God? Of course it is. The, the, the book of Psalms in the Bible, the largest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, many of those Psalms are what are called Psalms of Lament. They're complaints to God about life. One whole book in your Bible is called Lamentations. It's one prophet just talking to God about how difficult life is. The resurrection invites you to talk honestly to God about what's going on in your life. Some of us, our faith never took full grounding. The roots didn't go deep in part. Because we picked up on a notion, it was a false notion, it was a misguided notion, that with God we got to kind of come cleaned up, we got to kind of come perfect. And when we get perfect enough, cleaned up enough, then we're, we're in with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. In the example of Jesus, Jesus says, God, I don't want this. And you could take it away. That's pretty honest. That level of honesty hasn't marked a lot of our spiritual lives. But I want you today to give yourself permission to be honest with God. That's what the resurrection allows us to do. And then the third part of that prayer was is to offer your trust. He says, I don't want this, but what I want is I want you to do what you want to do, God. I want to want what you want. That's what I want, God. Part of me doesn't want it, but I want to want it. That prayer, God, I know you can do anything. Here's the thing I don't like, would you just, but at the end of the day, I'm going to trust you to do what's best for me. That's what we get in the picture of Jesus in the days before his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a powerful, powerful thing that we're invited to do. Number two, because of the resurrection, I think we have a chance to think and reflect about the fact that God is not only with me, but he's for me. He's not just with me, he's for me. This is his heart is bent towards your good, to your well-being. So what do you do when you're going through pain? You gather your friends, you pray honest prayers to God, you, you're, you're transparent with him. That's what it was like when Jesus was on the cross suffering that deep pain. As he led up to it. When Saturday came, it looked like it was all over. It was Friday night cross, Saturday night in the ground, his burial. And those followers who had deep hope, whose excitement had been through the roof, who just weeks before were cheering him on, are now, their hopes are crushed. They feel like it's over. It's one thing to see Jesus on the cross, but they had seen Jesus against insurmountable odds before. When he was in the boat and it looked like they were going to die, Jesus just said, wind, be still. 
So he could command the weather. A cross is nothing for him. So I would imagine that even while he's on the cross and they're a little afraid and they're watching from a distance, they're thinking probably in the back of their minds, he can fix this. He can do whatever. It's not over yet. But when they put him in the ground, the average watcher thought, it's over. And confusion set in. And fear set in. A deep sense of loss and disillusionment set in. What do you do when you have loss, disillusionment, pain, fear? You feel like it's over. It feels like too much water has gone under the bridge. You look to the story of Jesus, Peter said, in his death, in his suffering, in his resurrection. And you see the example he left for us. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus actually predicted what was going to happen. He actually said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, to his disciples, here's what he said, that Jesus told them, before the night's over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. Your life is going to fall apart. You're going to crumble. He predicted it. One by one, they said, not me, not me. It's not going to happen. But that's exactly what happened. When they were disillusioned, when they were fearful, when they had lost hope, they abandoned him. Can I ask you an honest question that maybe might be a little uncomfortable? Have you ever in your pain, in your fear, in your extended suffering, have you ever turned your back on God? I have. I know what it is to go through stuff and that journey of dealing with stuff, go, God, it, come on, God, you let me down. I didn't get what I expected to get. You didn't do what I thought you were going to do. You could have, and, and, and I want to do what you want to do. Have you ever, have you ever turned back on God because of what somebody else did to you? If you have, you have a place right in the middle of the story of Easter. That's what every disciple, that's what Peter did. His life fell apart because of what was going on with Jesus. And in one sense, when Jesus needed a friend the most, Peter was on the other side of the room, not engaged. If you've ever acted that way at all with God, you're like one of the disciples. That sounds like bad news, perhaps, because we're talking about some bad stuff they did. But I want to remind you, because they watched all that Jesus did, it's the same group of disciples that just a few hours later, not months, not years, hours later, these are the ones standing up in a group of people and saying these phrases. Peter says, um, that Jesus that you've heard about, I was there. I was an eyewitness. And we crucified him. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And I'm an eyewitness here to tell you about what was going on. The very ones who turned their back because they continue to watch the example of Jesus. They continue to accept all that is available through Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. They're the very ones, these broken, imperfect followers, are the very ones that God uses to bring the message of Jesus to the world. That's good news for us today. Because if you're an imperfect follower of Jesus, it could just be that God wants to use exactly you 
and your story to help other people in this world understand just how much God loves them. Imagine for just a moment, if God could love you in the middle of all of your sin, mistakes, abandonment, disinterest, and still call you, just like he called Peter and John, James, just like, if he could still, imagine how your story might impact somebody else. And I want to give you a couple pointers of what to do if you're, in, if you're a little disillusioned. And number one, I want you to remember some of the promises of God spoken to you. Can I tell you, if you're going through disillusionment, you're doing one of two things, in my opinion. You're either remembering the promises of God or you're worrying. At least that's me. Maybe that's not you. You're either remembering the, the promises of God and they're building confidence in you and faith in you and hope in you, or you're worrying and you're carrying this weight on your own shoulders and you're, you're processing it over and over again. You might even be playing the what-if game. Now imagine the disciples played the what-if game. Imagine they had a certain amount of regret that they were processing. But when you're going through disillusionment, pain, and discouragement, I want to encourage you to think about the promises of God. Promises of God. Let me give you a couple of them. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. It was important because he spoke exactly to what the disciples were about to do. You're going to leave, you're going to forsake, but I will never leave you or forsake you. It was interesting. They thought Jesus had done that, but he hadn't. The story just wasn't complete yet. So in times of disillusionment, remembering what God has spoken can give you hope in your current situation. These promises of God, one person counted over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible, a book of promises. And the promise of God is this, that there's no sin too great, that the blood of Jesus cannot wash it white as snow. That's good news. The promise of God is that nothing anybody else says about you, your value, your worth, how they treated you, how they made you feel, none of that impacts your true worth that is defined by your creator. The promises of God contained in the scripture is, is that nothing that has happened to you can stop the plan of God at work in your life. So no matter what somebody's intention was, no matter how evil they were, no matter how much pain you've gone through, no matter how much it feels like you're on the wrong road, nothing can keep you from following the plan of God if you turn towards him. No enemy put against you. One writer in the Bible said it this way, that there's nothing so high, so low, or so wide that the love of God can't come to you. So in your disillusionment, in your fear, in your pain, are you worrying or are you reflecting on the promises of God? Let me give you another point that you can do when you're going through stuff. Remembering that God is for you, you might be able to be an encouragement to other people. And even as you're doing that, see your own hope arise. Sometimes as a pastor, I get to sit down and I hear some of the stuff that people are going through and it's difficult, it's painful, and I just want to cry with them. And then they say things like to me, would you pray for me? So it's not unusual for me to reach across a desk or a table at Waffle House and grab somebody's hand just right there in front of God, the waitresses, and everybody and just pray for them. Can I just tell you something cool that happens when I do that very often? And even as I'm praying for them, I feel my own hope rise, like my own. Sometimes as, I, as I've been able to be an encouragement to other people, you know what happens? You know who leaves the conversation encouraged? I do. 
It's the power of the resurrection at work. It's the power of the story of Jesus, the example that he left us, that when you begin to walk in the way that God has called you to, even your own situation gets adjusted by the reality of what happened at the resurrection. And God can take the pain of other people, and you're speaking into it, to not just help them, and it does often. It actually can come back and help you. And I want to give you a couple promises from the Bible. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, up on the screen. God promises to all who mourn in Zion, so all the people are in and around Jerusalem. Zion was the primary mountain in Jerusalem. All the people who live in Jerusalem. I'll give you beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, and praise instead of despair. That's the promise of God. Isaiah 43, 2 and following. When you go through the deep waters in great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not be drowned. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord God, your God and Savior. God is for you. And when you remember the promises of Jesus, when you speak the promises of Jesus into other people's lives, you are in fact reflecting on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're following in the example that Jesus gave. Peter, Jesus said to him one day, Peter, the devil has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you have returned, encourage your brothers. I'm wondering if some of you have turned a bit away from God. Your spiritual jets have cooled because of what you've gone through. I wonder if God might not want to redeem that story in your life and use it as a testimony of hope for somebody else and even for you. That can happen because of the power of the resurrection. So God is with me, God is for me, but because of the resurrection, we're reminded, number three, that God is in me. God is in me. The resurrection means you have the power of Jesus in you. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live again. I give them eternal life for believing in me, and they will never perish. When the apostle Paul was reflecting on this years later, he wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1. He said, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is. To help those who believe in him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Because of the power of the resurrection, what began with pain that went to disillusionment and despair ended in joy. That's the power of the resurrection. The journey is redeemed. The waiting is not wasted. There's hope in the morning. The dawn comes, not just the sun rising over the mountains, but the light begins to shine in the lives of people where darkness seems to have had a rain. This is the power of Easter. And it is available to all of us because of Jesus' whole point in coming was to give his life a ransom for all. Can I be honest with you? What you need today, what we all need today, the answer to our challenges, our pain, our frustration, our disillusionment, the answer is not a principle I can teach you. The answer is actually a person. It's the person of Jesus. You don't need some trick. You don't need some hack in life. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's why we look to his example, how he went through the stuff. We look to him. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher 
of our faith. He begins it. And when he begins it, here's what's cool. He already knows the end. And because of the resurrection, you win with him. You win. And I don't know all the stories and all the chapters that you've got to go through yet, but I know the last couple pages of the story of your life if you're with Jesus. You win because he wins. You win because the power of the resurrection that raised him from the dead is at work in you as well. We don't need a principle. We need a person. And you don't need religion today. You need a relationship. You don't need religion. You need a relationship with Jesus. The resurrection teaches us anything. If the example of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection shows us anything, it shows us that the words of Jesus can be trusted. Jesus said, I'm the door. I am the way. I'm the life. Anyone comes to me, he has access to his heavenly father. I want to take you to one poignant passage of scripture. It's a life-changing prayer that anybody can pray. Several people in this room have already prayed it. The points of that prayer are found in Romans chapter 10. It's Paul's words to the church at Rome. And he describes how it is you take this example of Jesus and the resurrection and you begin to apply the truth of it to your life no matter where you are. It no longer becomes just a model to follow. It becomes a relationship to engage. It's not just a religion with principles and do's and don'ts and obligations. It's a deep friendship that happens between you and Jesus. And it's specifically tied to the resurrection. So in the 10th chapter of Romans, Paul writes these words as the Holy Spirit directs him to write. They're Paul's human words, but they're God's spiritual words. Here's what he says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus is Lord. I joke often around here that there's two big rules of the universe. Uh, there's a God, and you're not him. Yeah? So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying, God, you're in charge. It's your way. It's what Jesus was praying. Not my will, but yours be done, because yours is bigger, yours is better. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This was a big deal, because in the Roman day, to the people that this letter was written to. In the Roman day, they all knew the phrase goes like this. Caesar is Lord. That's the phrase. That's the common phrase. Caesar is Lord. It's how you greet each other. Government sessions began and ended with the phrase, Caesar is Lord. But Jesus said, I am Lord. My power supersedes the power of the Roman emperor. I'm Lord. That is an earthly kingdom. I have a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that can permeate, permeate all areas of life, both here and now and for eternity. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, look at this phrase, that God raised him from the dead, that he was dead, but he's not anymore. That's the central message of Easter. And believe in your heart that God, the Bible says, with that you can be saved. So the simple prayer that goes with that verse is, is, God, I want you to be God. I want you to be Lord, not of the universe. You already are. I can't speak to that. I actually want you to be Lord of my life. And I believe 
that your death and resurrection opens the door for me to have a relationship with you. I can't earn it, so I'll trust what you did for me. The greatest thing that can happen on Easter Sunday in any church in America is this. Not that you walk away with a few tidbits of information, although I hope you do. I hope you remember the power of friendship and that you rally with your friends when they're hurting and they rally with you. I hope you remember the power of remembering the promises of God. But I hope that the central story of Easter impacts your life deeply. And it's namely this, that Jesus wasn't the only one who's been raised from death to life, but each one of us who trust in his work have the same available power to us to raise us from the death of our own life and where we're headed to the life that God wants for us. The song says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. That's what makes the grace so amazing. So I'm going to pray right now. Give you a chance to use the words of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and speak them to God. For some of you, you I, uh, my hunch is, you might need to recommit some stuff. I mean, maybe it's been a long time, and some pain and disillusionment has got in there. You can change all that right now, and you can turn back to him. For some of you have never done this before. You can turn to him. So why don't we just bow our heads right now? Father, I want to thank you for the example of Jesus. How he walked beautifully through pain and disappointment and disillusionment, and he never gave up hope. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us, you are for us, and you can be in us. And right now, I lift up the men and the women in this room who are declaring Jesus. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I trust your work on the cross and in your resurrection to secure my relationship with you. I want to be your child. I want you to be in charge. Amen. Now at our church, when we hear a message, we try not to just nod our head in approval. We try to actually move forward with it. So I'm going to invite everybody in the room to grab out that connect card that you were told about earlier by Pastor Joseph. We're actually going to take a couple steps together. Next step A, some of you have already prayed that prayer. And if you prayed a prayer with me around Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that says, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A. That's what you just did. You literally just made Jesus your Savior and Lord. So if you'll check the box with the pen we're giving you, you can put the card in the offering bucket in a few minutes. We're not going to bombard you with emails. I just want to send you a simple communication that says, here's what it means to be a child of God. Let's check that box. You've already done it. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We have a baptismal up here because the next service, two people are getting baptized in our church. A 16-year-old boy, young man, getting baptized right here because of the work of this church, because of the investment of people. And then a, a, an older adult, not old, but older than 16, is getting baptized as well. It's pretty spectacular what God does. And they're going to be taken under the water and raised to new life with Christ. If you want to be baptized, check the box. We've begun a new message series today called Out of That Grave. We're going to look at different ways the resurrection speaks to areas of life. So next step, C says, I'll make a sincere effort to attend all five weeks of the Out of the Grave 
message series. So you're already 20% done. You're here. All right? You're well on your way. Now, on April 28th, Next Step D says, on April 28th, I'll attend, meet the pastor. It's a chance to meet the team here. If you're our guest, we'd love you to come back on that day. After each service, you'll exit this room, go to the right, and we'd love to just say hi to you. It takes about 10 minutes. Don't really have a program. We just want to meet you, get to know you a little bit. And then Next Step E, it says, hey, would you send me the link to sign up to serve on May 4th? We have a big serve. It's a big outreach we're doing in our community. And if you'd like to help us serve our community with food and acts of kindness, this link will tell you how to do that. Just check the box. We'll get it to you. Why don't you set that card aside? If you call this church home, the next few minutes are for you. If you're our guest, you're welcome to participate. You don't have to do what we're about to do, but this is a chance to give back to the Lord a part of what he's blessed you with. So around here, you should know this if you're our guest. You're sitting around some very generous people. Over the last 10 years or so, They've built an orphanage in Kerala, India, 50 girls. We're in the middle of building a boys' home that'll hold 50 boys. It's about done. It's well on its way. We have work in Cuba where we're supporting pastors who go into the communities. They feed the hungry. It's a big deal. They, they invest in this facility. We have an amazing place to serve you and your kids. You know how that happens? Because the people here believe that God has blessed them in part so they can be a blessing to others. Four Corners Church, I just want to say thank you for being kind and generous people. Oh, you're not a perfect church, but you're my favorite one. And I love you. And I love doing life with you. I'm so glad that we get to serve a resurrected Savior together. We get to do some pretty incredible stuff. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray about our offering and our other next steps. And if you took next step A or any of the steps, you want any information, you want to tell us what you want us to deal with in the next message series, just write the word question and put a question there and we'll pick those topics to deal in the next message series. Write that down. You got a couple minutes while I pray. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you. One more time for the example of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection and how it speaks to the most painful parts of our life. God, I want to thank you that joy does come in the morning that the resurrection is true, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us as well. And Lord, I want to thank you for the men and women in this place and maybe watching online who've said, Jesus, I trust you. Lead my life. Be the Lord. I trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection. Father, I pray that you would take our next steps that you would take our offering and you would use it to bless people, that you would do your profound work here. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.